Well, I'm excited for today and not only for the singing Christmas tree, but I've been excited for this message this week. Uh, I think it's an important one and uh, I resonate with what the Lord, I believe, wants to say and do today. And so I want to encourage you to just be open. We're going to spend some time at the end. Hopefully we'll have plenty of time waiting on the Lord and seeking him. Today I've got a hammer, obviously. What do you use a hammer for? Driving nails, that's right. You use it for hammering. But there's another side to the hammer too, isn't there? This hammer is a claw hammer, and claw hammers are useful for all kinds of things. Not only can you drive nails, but you can pull them up. If you need to pry something up, you can stick it in there and use it as leverage. You can scrape at something. You can chip away at something if you need to. Even if that's not the intention, it works for it. I've done it. You can use a claw hammer for multiple things. It is one tool with a lot of different uses And in this message series on our core beliefs and our doctrines, we have noted a number of things where uh, maybe there is one but many as well, one but three as in the Trinity, one God and three persons. We've noted that with Jesus there is one person, but he has two natures. He's fully God and he is fully human. And today we're going to see that the Holy Spirit is one person, but that he does multiple works in the life of the believer. Now this isn't really all that surprising or difficult to comprehend because Obviously, people can believe or people can have more than one role. They can do more than one kind of thing. But sometimes people get really hung up on this and this particular doctrine, and they they sometimes misunderstand the doctrine that we're going to consider today. Two weeks ago, we learned about salvation and how repentance and faith in Christ result in new birth or in regeneration. You're born again. Last week, we considered the ordinances of our faith, of our salvation with baptism and the Lord's Supper representing what Christ has done. And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, that in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. When you believe the gospel, it is the Holy Spirit who baptizes you into Jesus. You are born again. He is the one that affects that work in your life, that that renews you, that regenerates your spirit toward God. He makes you part of Christ's body by baptizing you into Christ. And the Spirit's work in salvation is so essential that the Apostle Paul wrote at Romans 8, 9, that if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to to God. When you're saved, the Spirit baptizes you into Jesus, and he comes to live in you, and you're now a temple of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit does more than one work in the life of the believer. He not only regenerates and justifies and sanctifies, he also does another work to empower believers for ministry and a life of service in God's kingdom. And this is the Pentecostal doctrine of baptism in the Holy Spirit. We put it this way, all believers are entitled to and should ardently expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father, the baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire, according to the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the normal experience of all in the early Christian church. With it comes the endowment of power for life and service, the bestowment of the gifts and their uses in the work of the ministry. This experience is distinct from and subsequent to the experience of the new birth. 
While with the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes such experiences as an overflowing fullness of the Spirit, a deepened reverence for God, an intensified consecration to God and dedication to his work, and a more active love for Christ, for his word, and for the lost. Now, this doctrine teaches that the Holy Spirit desires to do a work in you, in me, in believers, that is specifically for empowering us for ministry and witness. He's the same person, the same Holy Spirit who baptizes us into Jesus when we are saved, but the scripture teaches us that Jesus will baptize us into the Holy Spirit and that this is a work that is distinct from the work of salvation. In other words, there's more that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. That's true for all of us. That's a promise for you. There's more that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Now, if you're not aware, if you've wandered in or you've been here a while and you're not aware, this is a Pentecostal church, and one of the primary distinctions of Pentecostal believers is this doctrine, the doctrine of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And in my experience, there are many people who attend a Pentecostal church who don't really understand why we believe this and may not be all that interested in it. There may be some who like the church generally but would prefer to ignore this particular teaching. There are maybe many others who didn't even realize this is a Pentecostal church. And so we're going to start by briefly examining why we believe this. And I think this is so important. When I was, uh, when I was in seminary, I did a, a long study of the baptism in the Holy Spirit because I was realizing at the time that I'd grown up in Pentecost and that I knew what I believed but I wasn't sure why I believed it. I knew a couple of passages in the New Testament that talked about baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I was also becoming more and more aware that there were other people who thought other things, who didn't think it was legitimate, didn't think it was actually taught in the New Testament, didn't think that this was real, and I wanted to know, is this what the Bible actually teaches? Now, I can't share all of those things that I learned with you today in one single message, but what I do want to do is help you to see that what Pentecostals believe about baptism in the Holy Spirit comes from the Bible. It doesn't come because we just had an experience and thought, hey, let's try to rewrite the Bible with what we experienced. It doesn't come because they, a bunch of people were sitting around one day and, and they got kind of excited about something and, and, and they weren't sure exactly what happened and then they decided, well, let's make a church out of this. It, it actually was born from a group of people who were studying the book of Acts together and realized that the early church had an experience of God's spirit that was called a promise from God that they had not had. And something in them began to stir, to say, we're dissatisfied with what we've experienced of Christ to this point. If there's more that God wants to do by his spirit, we want to experience it. And so they did what the early church did. They just followed the model of Acts chapter two. They started to pray and wait. And as they prayed and waited, God poured out his Holy Spirit on them and empowered them for a new kind of work. Listen, church, the reason that I think it's so important, and, and we're going to go through some of the scriptures as quickly as we can to talk about how this, this work of the Spirit is, is different than salvation, I think it's important because there are people in our church who maybe you've been coming for a while and you think, well, I don't know if that's quite really what the Bible says and it's okay for the more emotional people, it's okay for those, uh, those people who are a little bit more emphatic and expressive, but for me, I'm okay with salvation. Listen, this is a promise for you. 
It is a promise that God wants to work in your life. And I want to show you that it is a promise that is stated, I believe, as clearly in the New Testament as the promise of salvation is. And so you should expect to receive it. You should ask for God to give it to you and trust that he will because he calls it a promise. You can receive the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Why do we believe this? Why do Pentecostals believe that there's another work the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Sometimes we're accused of reading our experience into scripture or of being light theologically. And as in all Christian traditions or denominations, there have been some who promote errors, but I think a similar claim could actually be made concerning those who deny baptism in the Holy Spirit and the empowering work that the Spirit does in the church. I mean, how do you read a Bible filled with the powerful works of God, the move of the Holy Spirit, miracles, wonders, filled with Jesus saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, and then decide that you'll believe the bits about salvation, but the rest stopped when the apostles died or when the Bible was completed. Based on what? Based on what evidence? Where does the Bible ever say that? Sometimes I think that those who deny the Holy Spirit's empowering work are guilty of what they accuse Pentecostals of doing. They read their experience or lack of experience back into the Bible. They haven't experienced these things, so they must not be real. But in reality, we do base our beliefs about baptism in the Spirit on biblical interpretation, particularly on Luke and Acts. And if you're unaware, the Gospel of Luke and the account of the early church contained in Acts were both written by the same author, Luke. We know that he was an associate of the Apostle Paul on several of his missionary journeys, and he traveled to Israel. We know Luke traveled to Israel where he had access to eyewitnesses who saw Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Luke and Acts should really be considered a single work, two parts of the same book. And it seems from the beginning of the book of of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, that Luke wants to highlight the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel opens with the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus' birth and in his baptism. The Holy Spirit filled John the Baptist and his mother, Luke 1.15 and 41. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Luke 1.35. Various people received revelations from the Spirit, in Luke 1.67 or Luke 2.27. Then Jesus was baptized and the Spirit descended on him in Luke 3.32. And then Luke 4.1 leads us to believe that everything Jesus did, as recorded throughout the rest of the book of Luke, he does it in the power of the Holy Spirit. It sets the tone. It says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's setting the tone. Jesus, from here on out, after his baptism, his ministry will be carried out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in a passage that I refer to as Jesus' mission statement, Jesus opens a scroll in the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61, 1-2, and he says, that this was fulfilled by him. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
Luke makes it very plain from the beginning of the gospel that the Holy Spirit was involved in the early stages of Jesus' life and in his ministry. Not only that, Jesus then announced that he was going to pour out that same spirit on his disciples. He said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the book of Acts opens with this promise and with its fulfillment when Jesus baptized uh, in the Holy Spirit, not just the apostles, but also 120 other disciples who were gathered with them on the day of Pentecost, says in Acts 2.4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now it hardly seems that the similarities between the openings of Luke and Acts were merely coincidental that the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life and then the empowering work and baptism of the Holy Spirit in the early church, that Luke was just writing coincidences. No, 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 he has written these things to highlight the work of the Spirit in empowering. I believe Luke wanted us to understand that everything Jesus did throughout his ministry and everything his church then continued to do in the book of Acts was empowered by the Holy Spirit. The consistent emphasis on the Holy Spirit in Luke and Acts bears witness to this purpose. But was this empowering work of the Spirit, you might be asking, was it any different from what the Spirit does at salvation? As the doctrine puts it, was it distinct from and subsequent to the new birth? I believe that it was for several reasons. For starters, Luke doesn't ever really address the Holy Spirit's saving or sanctifying works. He doesn't really ever get into any kind of detail about what the Holy Spirit does when a person is saved. The Apostle Paul certainly does. He wrote, uh, he wrote for uh, churches and described in great detail how the Holy Spirit is involved in regeneration and how he's involved in sanctification and justification. But Luke doesn't seem to want to emphasize the same things. He seems to want to emphasize something different that the Holy Spirit does. The Apostle Paul emphasizes the Spirit's saving work. Luke emphasizes his empowering work. The Pentecostal scholar and missionary Robert Menzies points out the tendency in Protestant churches has been to read Luke in light of Paul. Paul addresses pastoral concerns in the church. Luke writes a missionary manifesto. To put it simply, Luke is highlighting a different work the Holy Spirit does. If Paul highlights the Spirit's work at salvation, Luke highlights his empowering work or his missionary work. And throughout Acts, we find multiple instances at critical junctures of people who are apparently already believers, already saved, have already confessed faith in Christ, but then who are filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy. I've done it in other messages. We don't have time to examine all of these in detail, but if you want to look into these passages personally, these instances include the Samaritans in Acts 8, 14 to 17. It includes Cornelius and his household in Acts 10, 44 to 48. It includes the Ephesian believers in Acts 19, 1 through 7. However, for me, the real clincher is in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John had been arrested for telling people about Jesus, When they were released, the authorities told them that they should not talk about Jesus any longer. They went back to their believing friends and they all began to pray. And the prayer that they prayed that day, Luke records it ending like this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and the result was boldness. There is no doubt that these people were already saved. People want to argue, were they saved on the day of Pentecost? Were the Samaritans already saved? Was Cornelius really saved, or was it just a fake? Or were the Ephesian believers really saved before it says that they received the Holy Spirit? Okay, you want to argue about that? Fine. But you cannot argue that Peter and John were not saved by Acts chapter 4. They were full-fledged believers, apostles preaching Jesus. They were saved, and yet the Holy Spirit fell on them and empowered them enabling them to do something that was greater than what they had done previously. He did not fall on them or baptize them merely to resave them or something like that. That would be heresy. Instead, he fell on them to re-empower them. And not only them, but the church that they were leading in Jerusalem. The intention was clearly to show that it was the Holy Spirit who was doing an ongoing work of empowering his church to witness for Christ. And the Spirit wants to continue that work in this church, amen? The Holy Spirit wants to continue that work in our church. This is why we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because the Bible teaches it. It shows us an ongoing work of empowering that the Holy Spirit does and that is received subsequent to salvation and is actually accomplished in us more than just one time, but over and over again as we wait on the Lord in new challenges and new circumstances that need his empowering presence. The initial gift of the Spirit, the experience of baptism in the Spirit is not the end. It is an open door to the ongoing empowering of the Spirit in our lives as we continue in prayer obedience, surrender, and in faith. So, that's why we believe, because the Bible says so, to put it simply. And I believe that it says it pretty clearly if we're willing to not base what we believe about the Bible on our experience, but on what the Bible actually teaches. But how to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is the second question. Maybe you're already convinced you're open to what God wants to do. Maybe you've already prayed and you've already been seeking the Lord. Lord, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But, but you're just wondering, I, I don't know how. Is This isn't something we can manipulate, is it? It's not something that, that we can control? Obviously not. Pentecostal scholar and teacher Gordon Fee, who recently passed away, he observed that deep, satis- deep dissatisfaction with life in Christ without life in the Spirit is precisely the background for the Pentecostal movement. Have you ever thought of, that, of your Christian life in that way? There's got to be more. I've read the Bible, but my experience doesn't line up with what I find there. It doesn't line up with what I hear when a missionary comes and tells about what God is doing elsewhere. And I think the tendency of many is to assume that God acted differently in the Bible than he does now, or that they just aren't gifted enough or blessed enough or spiritual enough to experience what the book of Acts describes. So they either say the gift is no longer for today, or they just ignore it because they assume it's beyond them or they feel defeated. However, I think our attitude and response should be more like the prophet Habakkuk. God's people were in trouble. Their country and cities were overrun by an enemy nation. The temple was destroyed. 
Many believed that God had abandoned his people because of their sin, and they had resigned themselves to a life in exile. But Habakkuk did not. Instead, he prayed this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. I think I do. God, I've, I've read what you did in the past. I've read your promises. I've heard testimonies from God's people about what you've done, how you intervened, delivered, how you healed, how you restored, how you brought salvation. I've heard the reports of missionaries telling of God's great work, but I don't see it, at least not at that level, at least not at that scale. And how should we respond, believer, to the dissonance we may feel between what God's word says and what we may be currently experiencing? Should we think that it's not for us? Should we assume that it must not be how God is acting any longer? Should we ignore the powerful promises because they make us uncomfortable with our lack of power? Or should we cry out, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. Do it again, God. Do it again. Was it not your promise, God? This is what the apostle Peter said to the crowd that gathered after the 120 on the day of Pentecost had received the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. He said, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. Believer, has the Lord called you to himself? Has the Lord called you to himself? Then the promise is for you. It's written in no uncertain terms. The promise is for you. We're right to believe and we're right to teach that all believers are entitled to and should ardently expect and earnestly seek the promise of the Father, the baptism in this Holy Spirit and fire according to the command of the Lord Jesus. The promise of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is for you. It's for our church so if you're dissatisfied with your life in Christ because maybe you feel ineffective in it, you feel powerless in it, or you just desire more of the empowering work of the Spirit in your life than you're currently experiencing, then you should be asking, how can I be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I think faith in the promise of God can be expressed in a few ways, four ways in particular, when we seek baptism in the Holy Spirit, their prayer Obedience, surrender, and expectation. Prayer is the context of baptism in the Holy Spirit. We can see this in the scripture that we read earlier from Acts chapter four. It says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This has also been the experience of Pentecostal believers throughout the years and all over the world. If you wanna be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you start by asking. At the end of the parable that Jesus told about a father, he compares a, a father uh, on earth and uh, the willingness of an earthly father to give good gifts to their children to the willingness of the heavenly father to give good gifts. Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father? And notice Luke spe specifies what gift. Because in Matthew he just says gives good gifts, but Luke 
Luke wants you to know the Holy Spirit is available to you. And so Luke specifies, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift. The Spirit's empowering presence cannot be earned. You don't work your way to it. So the best place to start, really the only place to start, is just to ask. To ask God to give you his promise. And people get all hung up with how to receive baptism of the Holy Spirit. We tend to think that if someone has something we don't have, that must mean that they earned it. We get frustrated when we can't simply get what we want based on merit or a simple system. But baptism in the Holy Spirit is not something you work for. It's something you ask for and then you receive. And because we're so close to Christmas, I think the analogy of a child receiving a Christmas gift is appropriate. My kids don't earn their gifts. Nothing says I have to give them gifts. There's no rule, no law that says I must give my kids Christmas gifts. They do ask for gifts. They want certain things, and Andrea and I love them, and so we give. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to you if you ask? So the first question is simply, have you asked? Have you asked him? Are you consistently asking him? Another expression of faith that makes us receptive to baptism in the Spirit is obedience. Obedience makes us receptive to all the different ways that God wants to work in our lives and to bless us and to help us to grow. We shouldn't think of obedience as something that's burdensome to us. Rather, we can think of obedience as liberating because it allows us to lean on God with simple but active trust in him. When I was a teenager, There were certain things that my parents didn't want me to do, obviously, that's true of most teenagers, and one particular area that this kind of stood out, maybe more than others, was with entertainment. They were much more careful than, and kind of discerning about entertainment than most of my friends or my friends' parents, and as a result, I was often put in situations where my friends wanted to watch something or listen to something or go to something that... I knew my parents did not allow. And this was awkward for me. I don't know if you remember being a teenager and and the pressure that you feel from your peers, but it was awkward to say, I can't do that. I I can't go to that. I can't watch that. I wanted to be obedient. I wasn't a particularly rebellious teenager, especially not in this regard, but I also felt a bit like a prude and a nerd telling my friends that I wasn't allowed to do these kinds of things. However, until I was strong enough to understand what was right or wrong, and then strong enough to kind of stand on my own two feet. My dad did something for me. He told me there was a way that I could get out of the situation without being embarrassed. He said, blame me. If you're in a situation where you, you are, know you're not supposed to do something, instead of telling your friends, oh, I'm not going to do that, just blame me. Say, my dad, he won't let me. I've got to go. Just blame me for it. And I did. I blamed him multiple times until I came to the point where I was able to stand and instead of saying, my dad won't allow, I would say, I don't want to do that. And the Holy Spirit and the Heavenly Father do similar things for us when it comes to obedience to God. Sometimes we may not understand why God has commanded certain things or we may feel like we don't have the fortitude to obey on our own. But I'm reminded of Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, which says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Notice it says, and the implication is you can lean on God and his understanding. Blame him if you have to. In all your ways, Acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Obedience to God, it doesn't burden us. It unburdens us. 
It makes us able to lean on him, to rely on him, and it makes us receptive to his will and his direction. And so too, obedience makes us receptive to baptism in the Holy Spirit. Why would God want to give you power for ministry uh, if you don't actively trust him, acknowledge him, and follow him? Why would he empower you for ministry if, if you're not being obedient in your life? Don't try to obey God to earn the reward of baptism in the Holy Spirit, but do obey God as an expression of faith, and it will make you more receptive and more fit for the gift, the promise of the Father. And a related expression to faith is surrender. Sometimes people want to be baptized in the Spirit, but they are not committed to God's mission. And this is like asking for the keys to the car to run errands, but then taking a joyride and wrecking the car. You think dad's going to give you the keys next time? Probably not. And in the same way, many people want and ask for baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they have very little investment or interest in the mission of God or in the kingdom of God. And part of what we affirm is that when a person is baptized in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit increases their passion to be a witness for Christ. So I'm not saying that God won't give you this gift unless you're already witnessing, but we also, we've also seen that baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just a climactic event. It's not a one and done kind of thing. It's more like an initiation or an open door that then allows the Holy Spirit to keep filling and keep working in your life. And should we expect God to empower us and then continue to empower us if we're not about his business? Why would he give power to witness to people who are not going to witness? Why would he empower people for his mission to people who are actually more concerned about their own mission? Jesus had to teach the apostles about surrender over and over again. They had often debated among themselves, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Who gets to sit closest to Jesus? All this kind of stuff. Who's gonna have the most authority in the kingdom of God? And even after Jesus' resurrection, it seems like they were still hung up on when the kingdom was coming so they could get their piece of the pie. And it says in Acts, 6, or Acts 1, 6 to 8, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And they still didn't quite understand how Jesus had brought the kingdom of God, opened the door to the kingdom through his death and resurrection, and they were apparently still hung up on ideas about their position and their authority in the kingdom. And Jesus said they would get power, they would certainly receive power, but it might not be the kind that they were expecting at first. It would be power in God's kingdom to proclaim Jesus, power to be witnesses all over the world. Sometimes when we seek God, our motives get mixed up as well, don't they? We want power. We imagine what it would be like if God would use us, what kind of attention we might get from other people how people might admire us, how we might be respected, or we're just looking for God to bless what we want, to rubber stamp our dreams. And sometimes what we're really after from God is power to build our own kingdoms, not power to build his kingdom. By the way, sidebar, this is why name it and claim it, health and wealth, prosperity gospel is so wrong and so dangerous. 
because it does not call you to lay down your kingdom for the better kingdom of Jesus. It doesn't call you to trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. It calls you to apply your understanding to God and then expect him to fulfill your dreams. All right, sidebar done. But the power that God gives us to build is to build his kingdom. The power of the Holy Spirit that God gives is to build his kingdom, not our own. And so if we want to be effective for his kingdom through his power, we need to surrender. We need to step down off the throne of our hearts and let Jesus sit where he should be sitting. And if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, don't seek to secure your own position. Uphold Jesus' position. Yield to him. Make his kingdom your priority. Surrender. And the final expression of faith that makes us receptive to baptism in the Holy Spirit is expectation. Now this may be a little redundant, but I think it's worth highlighting. When you seek baptism in the Holy Spirit, you should expect to receive baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's faith. In his message on the day of Pentecost, Peter told the crowd, the promise is for you. The promise is for you. Jesus told the apostles to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a promise. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's a promise? Do you believe it's a promise based on God's grace and not what you deserve? Do you believe it's a promise that comes from the heart of a father who wants to give good gifts to his children? Even more than... Maybe we as fathers or mothers want to give good gifts to our children, even at Christmas time. Do you believe that there is more that God wants to do in your life? Do you sense a lack of authority or power or effectiveness in ministry or in witness? I'm not talking about, about sensing that, that you don't have what you want that your dreams aren't fulfilled. I'm saying as you follow Jesus and surrender to his kingdom, do you sense that there's just not the oomph, the, the get up and go, the passion, the drive, the power that God wants you to have to do what he wants, to fulfill his purposes? Are you about God's business or is your life distracted with building your own kingdom? Have you read the scriptures and found yourself longing for the presence and the power of God like you read there and yet dissatisfied with your own experience? Believer, there's good news for you because there is a promise that God has for you. It's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And this is not a promise of someone that, that, that doesn't have the authority to do it. It's the promise of God. And it's not the promise of just some experience you have one day and then it's over and, and you can just look back on it the rest of your life. It's the promise of an open door to the empowering work and the empowering presence of God's Holy Spirit enabling you to do what you cannot do on your own. Maybe you've already been baptized in the Spirit, but there's a hunger in you for more of God's work. Maybe you recognize a new challenge in your life, in your, in your ministry, in your work, a, a new challenge that you're gonna need new boldness and new effectiveness for. There's a promise for you. It's the promise of the Father. He will not withhold the Spirit from those who ask. Now, I don't know any tips or tricks by which you can receive. I just know the simple command of Jesus. He told the apostles that they should wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. 
he, he told them to do this and then they, they prayed and they walked in obedience and they surrendered their kingdom to the Lord and they then waited with expectation. And if you long for more of God's power in your life, in this church, I wanna ask you to do that with me today. Will you just wait on the Lord? In prayer, obedience, surrender, and expectation, there's no time to do it except now. I know it's not the most conducive day to do this, where we don't have a lot of room up front. Maybe not, but what are we gonna do? We're gonna say, oh, well, we'll wait on the Lord next week. No, 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 the time to wait for the Lord is now. The time to wait for the promise of the Spirit is now. The time to seek and surrender. The time to, to call out to Him in prayer and to expect that He will give is not tomorrow. The time is today, it's right now. And it doesn't matter if you received the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit 20 years ago, or you've not yet experienced it. The time to wait is now, because believer, there are new challenges, and there are new works, and there's new ministry that God wants to do in your life, and if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will not be able to accomplish it in the power of God that He wants. I'm not saying that those who don't believe this doctrine can't do anything for God. We're not getting into that this morning, and that's not at all what I mean. All that I mean is this. If God promised power through his Holy Spirit, why would we not take it? Why would we not receive what he wants to do? And so this morning, the call is simple. The worship team is going to sing. And if you want power from God, if you want to know the presence of the Holy Spirit doing a different work in your life, not the work of regeneration, he's done that. If you've already put your faith in Jesus, he's already done that. If you have not yet believed in Jesus for salvation, I exhort you, put your faith in him today. The Holy Spirit will enter your life and change you, transform you, and make you a new creation. He'll do it right now if you call out to him. But if you have already experienced that and you want to say Lord I, I'm not satisfied because I believe there's more that you want to do that I'm asking you that you would wait for a few moments this morning if you want to stand where you are you can do that if you want to get into an aisle just to move and say Lord I surrender you can do that if you want to get as close to the front as you can you can do that as well our pastors are going to be available and if our our deacons and deaconesses are available as well if you've not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit we would be happy to pray for you specifically and so if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit you've never had this second work the Spirit wants to do empowering you for life and for ministry, then we would love to pray with you and, and, and believe God with you for that. So pastors, deacons, deaconesses, if you go ahead and make your way to the front of the aisles, we're available for you. But congregation, can we just take a few moments? We've intentionally left time this morning, plenty of time that we might wait on God. It might be something that you feel a little bit hesitant about or you feel antsy about. May I exhort you, believer, don't let something steal what God wants to do right now because you feel antsy or you're looking at the clock and saying, oh, I, I want to go, or this is uncomfortable. Don't be uncomfortable waiting on God. He's your father. He wants to give you a good gift. And so if your heart is saying, Lord, I desire you to revive your work in these days, do it again, Lord. Pour out your spirit. I need your power, not for yesterday. I need your power for today. I need you to work in my life. Will you take a few moments and will you seek the Lord? Will you respond to him as he presses in your heart? Will you find a place to pray? Will you surrender to him this morning? Let's call out to God. Let's call out to him this morning. Even now, just begin to lift your voice and to lift your heart to him. 
If you want to stand or you want to come forward, go ahead and do that. But let's begin to seek him and to pray, Lord, today we call out to you. Father, today we seek you. We want the promise that you promised. We want the fulfillment of that promise in us. Lord, we've read your word and we're convinced. Lord, we're convinced that you said that we would receive power. We've convinced by the words of the Apostle Peter, the promise is for us, for our children, for all who will call on the Lord. Lord, we call out to you today. We ask you, pour out your spirit on us. Lord, what we need is not what you did yesterday. We need a new work today. Father, you see the new challenges. You hear the threats. Stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders and fill your people with boldness that we might be witnesses for you today and tomorrow and the days ahead. Lord, you know the challenges that face the church this church, in this valley, at this time. And Lord, we're asking that you would pour out your spirit and enable us to meet those challenges, not in our strength, Lord, and not in our power, but in yours. Come on, church, would you press in? Let's seek him together. If you want to get out and and come forward and find a place to kneel, please do that. Don't let something keep you from responding to what God wants to do. If you want to make your way into an aisle and, and just seek the Lord that way and find a place to surrender, do that but let's make a move toward what the Lord is calling us to let's not hesitate and 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 listen to the voice of our own experience but let's be people of faith who believe what God says he says you will receive power let's believe him for that promise today let's keep seeking him church Still stand. 
on, can we just begin to let faith arise in this place? Would you begin to look to Jesus? Would you begin to cry out to him and say, Lord, I want a touch from heaven. I've seen how you've moved in the past. I've seen how you've moved in my past. And I want more of you. I want more of your presence, more of your power, more of your Holy Spirit. So would you make that your cry this morning? Sing, I've seen you move. I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. I've seen you for a few more moments we have plenty of time it's only 10 19 and so even if you got to get out of here at 10 30 you've still got 10 minutes to wait on the Lord and in these moments of waiting we're not trying to manipulate God and sometimes we feel pressured by expectations of what we feel like maybe we're supposed to feel or what we feel like others are feeling or how we see other people responding I want to encourage you that this is what the, the scripture called a promise of the Father. He gives good gifts. And what we seek to do this morning is not manipulate God by our fanaticism or think that if we get excited enough, that, then God is obliged or obligated to, to do something for us. Instead, what we do is we come as children to God. And we say, Father, you've made a promise. And we're waiting for you. And sometimes we wonder, well, why does God make 
Why does God make people wait? There's not always an easy answer for that, but sometimes it's because there may be issues in our lives where there's disobedience or a need for surrender, and he wants to work those things out first, amen? He wants to bring those things to a resolution in your life first so that then he can empower you, not for your own mission, but for his mission. And so I want to encourage you for the next few minutes, if you would just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and simply keep asking God, keep seeking him, keep keep praising him. If you are a believer that's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you want to pray in your prayer language, you can do that. But, but what I want to encourage you to do is just keep asking the Lord, Lord, would you fill me and would you fill this church with the Holy Spirit? Would you anoint us with power from on high? Would you give us strength that doesn't come from us, it comes from you? And, 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 and not thinking that we're trying to manipulate or, 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 or get something out of God's hands, wrestle something from him but simply surrendering our lives to him and say, God, this is is your mission, it's not my mission, but I wanna make it my mission, it should be my mission, because you've called me to it. And so Lord, I need power for this mission, and you promised to give that. Would you give it today? Would you give it today as I wait for you? Church, would you just do that even now? Just go ahead and in your own words, seek the Lord. Lord, we wait for you. Lord, we wait for you. We desire your presence. Lord, I pray that you just begin even now if there are issues in people's lives of needing to surrender to you. There are things that they've been holding on to. Maybe they've even been deceived into thinking that something they're doing is for you and it's not, it's for them. Lord, it's a matter of pride in their hearts. Maybe it's a matter of envy or a matter of jealousy. Maybe, God, they've got big dreams and they want you to approve of those things. They want you to bless their dreams. And they haven't yet laid those things before you and said, what I want is to know God and his dreams and his heart. I want to know what he wants. I want my will to be surrendered to the will of the Lord. I want to take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. Holy Spirit, right now, would you just impress on hearts those places where maybe there's even been self-deception, where they've even talked themselves into thinking that something that is not your will is your will. Lord, for matters where there's been disobedience, bring conviction and healing and and repentance this morning so that there can be a clean heart and a willing heart, willing to receive from you. Keep seeking the Lord, church. Just keep praying and pressing into him for a few moments. Just wait on him. Pray that he would meet you here. Pray that he would empower your life. Maybe there's a particular situation in your life. Maybe there's someone that you've been wanting to witness to or there's a trial or a challenge at work to your faith. And you can pray like the apostles did in Acts chapter four. Lord, see their threats and stretch out your hand and empower me for witness. You can lift that need to him right now, that challenging circumstance to him, and ask him, Lord, I don't have the strength to be a witness in this situation, but you do, you empower me. Heavenly Father, right now we lift up those who they're facing threatening circumstances. Lord, maybe in their jobs there are people who do not understand your will. They are are not understanding the commitment and the faith to Christ, and it feels like this is a threat to a believer. Lord, I ask that right now you would see that threat and you would stretch out your hand and empower that man, that woman of God to be able to act not out of their own fear, but out of your strength and faith in you. 
Lord, maybe there's a circumstance in a family where uh, an unbelieving husband or an unbelieving wife is antagonistic to the gospel. And it's not just that they don't come to church, it's that they are mean-spirited and harsh in their treatment. And Lord, this husband, this wife doesn't know what to do. Lord, I pray right now that you would stretch out your hand as you see that threat and you would empower that man or that woman to be a witness in that marriage in Jesus' name, that you would give them strength that doesn't come from them, but it comes from heaven and it comes from the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for those that are in in school and maybe they feel threatened by the things that are being taught in their classes or the social environments that they're in and their faith feels like it's, it's under attack and they don't know what to do. They feel sheepish and they feel afraid about it. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, whether it's an elementary school or it's a master's degree, Lord, we ask that you would empower them, stretch out your hand on our children as well as on our young adults that as they're in the difficult situations that they face on a day-to-day basis that they would know that there is a strength that inhabits them that does not come from them but comes from the Father. Lord, would you reach out your hand and would you do miracles even through them? Would you heal and deliver that people might see your work in their lives? Father, we wait on you. Lord, we wait on you. Lord, we wait on you. Just seek him for a moment longer, church. I know this isn't the norm on a Sunday morning, but it's okay for us to wait on the Lord. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works as we wait on Him, as we say, Lord, I surrender my time to You. I surrender my thoughts to You. I bring them back. If you are easily distracted, that's okay. Bring your thoughts back to Him over and over again. Let's just keep waiting on the Lord. As we do, let's, let's just sing that chorus again, if we can. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail. Your promise still stands. Great is
for you today. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. And this is my confidence. You never fail. Let's praise the Lord, church. Let's thank Him. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. We worship you because of your promise. We thank you, Lord, that we do not have to make something happen, but that as we wait for you, you renew our strength, you give us new strength, you send your Holy Spirit, and Father, we're trusting you. We're expecting, not only for today, but for tomorrow and the days to come, that you're going to pour out your Spirit. Lord, that you're going to renew your work among us that you're gonna revive what you are doing. Lord, today we surrender to you. And I pray, Lord, that we would not only surrender for today, but that we would live a walk of surrender before you. Lord, that every morning we'd be surrendered to you and to your work, and we would be calling to you with expectation. God, fulfill your promise. Father, give the Holy Spirit. You see the challenges, give the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you, we thank you for these things, and we wait for you with expectation. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, we believe. Amen. Amen. Body, church, brothers, sisters, I want to encourage you that the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Spirit, it's not something that is for just an experience in a church service. In fact, more than that, the Holy Spirit wants to empower your life for witness, which means that tomorrow morning when you go to work, He wants to enable you and empower you for the things that maybe you're hesitant or scared about. So I want to encourage you that you not only wait for the Lord this morning, but tomorrow morning when you wake up, before you go out the door, would you wait for the Lord, even if just for a moment or two, would you say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Baptize me again today, Lord. Fill me with what I need to be able to face the challenges of the day and share the good news of Jesus with boldness and with faithfulness. Thanks for being here this morning. If you want to continue to seek the Lord for a few moments, you are welcome to do that. Otherwise, we'll see you at 6 o'clock for our singing Christmas tree. Until then, go in God's grace and in his peace.